dose. In addition to that, Iran has, has some number of, of uh, submarines in the area as well, which, again, would be very effective against these targets. And this isn't me trying to talk up the Iranian Navy or the Iranian Armed Forces as some sort of unstoppable threat. We have to realize, though, that I think they do have more capabilities than, than the U.S. would like to admit. And, and I know some of you might be thinking, you know, air superiority, the United States with our, our number of Tomahawk missiles, the F-35, the B-2 bomber, et cetera, et cetera, could easily decimate these units with, within hours, within days, you know, shock and awe, uh, the, the 2003 attack on, on Iraq and, and Baghdad. Why couldn't we do the same to their, to their capabilities this time around? And, and to some extent, I think we could. I think we, we could make a significant dent in their capabilities. However, Iran today, in, in terms of, of their ability to fend off such an, an aerial assault, is, is considerable. Um, I think a good example of that would be Iran's air defenses, which we, we don't know exactly what they have and what they don't have. But, but to our knowledge, they most likely have air defense units uh, comparable in, in capabilities to Russia's S-400 uh, uh, surface-to-air missiles, which are maybe the best in the world, could potentially even go uh, toe-to-toe uh, against something like the F-35 or the F-22 or the B-2 bomber in terms of their capabilities. As far as we know, Iran does not have the S-400. That Russia decided uh, in 2019 to, to not sell them the S-400 because they didn't want to escalate regional tensions. However, they do have the S-300, which is a generation older, but what Iran was supplied with by Russia, the, the S-300, is is a very advanced form of the S-300, which would likely be capable of taking out many different aerial threats uh, um, launched by the U.S. and our allies. It's hard to say, you know, could it take out something like an F-35 or a B-2 bomber? Uh, sort of the the in theory the the stealthiest aircraft in the world i don't know but it would provide some major capabilities against things like cruise missile attacks as well as uh many of the other uh um fighter jets or or bombers fighter bombers that may be in the us's um um air force or or in our navy right again i'm not trying to talk up their their ability to defend against the united states but I think we should, you know, respect them as 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 a uh, as a formidable opponent, and and not really in the same league as maybe Iraq was in two thousand three when we began the Iraqi invasion, or or Afghanistan, or even Libya in two thousand eleven or two thousand twelve when we decided to to carry out the the NATO air campaign there. Now, the final thing I want to talk about in this podcast, though, is what would happen if they were ultimately successful in their goal to to shut down. Uh, oil in the Middle East, oil production, oil being shipped out of the Middle East. And, and this is from cap, uh, uh, Capital Economics and, and what they would see as, as a potential result of if they did this and if the U.S. and Iran actually went into a major open conflict and not just clandestine or proxy wars. First of all, it would be a major blow to the, US, or to the global economy and it could potentially send oil as high as $150 a barrel. This is a, a quote from Capital Economics uh, following this, this recent action 
uh, against Iran and, and the killing of, of Qassam Soleimani. Quote, the assassination of Qassam Soleimani, a major figure in the Iranian regime, in a U.S. airstrike last night, has significantly raised the chances, chances of an outright conflict between the U.S. and Iran. We've previously estimated that a U.S.-Iran war could shave 0.5 percentage points or more off global GDP, mainly due to a collapse in Iran's economy, but also due to the impact from a surge in oil prices. Continuing, it's extremely difficult to know how events will play out from here, but Iran's supreme leader has promised, quote, tough revenge for the death of Mr. Soleimani. This could come via numerous channels, including attacks on U.S. embassies in the region, assaults on neighboring U.S. allies such as Saudi Arabia, or even strikes on U.S. military facilities in the Gulf. Clearly, the major concern for the world economy is that events spiral out of control and the U.S. launches a full-blown military assault on Iran. We would direct clients to a focus published last year for a discussion of the possible geopolitical and economic implications of a direct conflict between the U.S. and Iran. We won't go into all the details here, but there are a few key points worth reiterating. I know this is wordy. I'm going to continue here, but this is wordy, but it's important to understand. Continuing uh, from, from Capital Economics. First, the resulting collapse in Iran's economy could knock as much as 0.3 percentage points off global GDP, equal to our estimate of the damage from the U.S.-China trade war. The impact on the other MENA countries would ultimately depend on whether they get directly caught up in the conflict. Past experience suggests that they could actually come through relatively unscathed. Many of the Gulf countries recorded rapid growth during the first Gulf War. Second, and more importantly for the rest of the world, oil prices would surge. In response to last night's events, oil prices have risen by more than 3% today to close to 68 Per $68 per barrel. But if Iran tried to close off the Strait of Hormuz, we've previously estimated that Brent crude would jump to $150 per barrel. This would push up inflation across the world by as much as 3.5 to 4 percentage points in the OECD countries. Central banks in the developed world would probably look through this, but in emerging markets, those countries where higher oil prices exacerbate balance of payment strains or an inflation problem would probably hike interest rates. Turkey would be a prime candidate, but India would face strains too. Third, there would also be indirect effects via a hit to sentiment and possible disruption to shipping routes. Our central scenario is that the global economy will bottom out in the early part of this year and recover thereafter. But the outbreak of war between the U.S. and Iran would put the recovery on ice. In terms of financial markets, equity and bond markets across the Middle East would probably come under pressure, but we suspect that dollar pegs in the Gulf would remain intact. At a global level, a dent to risk appetite would cause risky assets to suffer, equities would fall, and emerging market currencies would weaken, and safe haven assets to rally. And, and that's sort of their base case. However, you know, in terms of $150 oil, I think that's, that's completely reasonable. But things could get much, much worse if this conflict would spread beyond just the U.S. and, and, uh, and Iran. If we were to carry out major military strikes against their forces in the region, it would likely be the case that that very rapidly uh, Saudi Arabia, Israel, United Arab Emirates, uh, and and other countries in the area that may be closely aligned with the U.S., Israel, and Saudi Arabia would quickly be be struck by by Iran's forces or by their their 
allies or their proxies in the area. And this could quickly escalate into a major regional conflict, if not a global conflict, if, if Russia or, or China uh, were to get involved as well. Long story short, Iran has a decent amount of military and naval capabilities in the region. I believe they have the capabilities, if done correctly, to shut down a major, uh, the bulk of, of oil production in the Middle East and potentially even uh, close the Strait of Hormuz for some amount of time. Heck, they could even scuttle tankers along the Strait of Hormuz and, and essentially close it by, by blockading it, by, by creating a whole bunch of, of sunken ships. And that would take uh, a very long time to, to remove those ships, especially if, if war was, was ongoing. Their military capabilities are oftentimes underestimated. They are a country that will thrive primarily on asymmetric warfare, not on going toe-to-toe with the supreme superpower in the world, the United States. However, they do have some military capabilities to, to achieve some of the goals that I discussed today in this podcast. And if they do achieve those goals, the impact to the global economy is going to be pretty significant in terms of higher inflation, higher oil prices, higher costs for consumers, uh, decreased sentiment, uh, potentially huge collateral damage to other countries, if you want to call it collateral damage, other countries in the Middle East. This could potentially extend into a major conflict that could also damage economic growth in places like the United States or Europe. And, uh, long story short, would, would significantly impact global economic growth uh, going forward. And, and this has all seemed so hypothetical, uh, a couple days ago, prior to this this airstrike against uh, one of Iran's leaders, but but following this, what I would consider an act of war, it seems as though everything's on the table at this point, and and a major escalation, major major conflict in the Middle East seems to be upon us. Not no longer right around the corner, but but already upon us. As always, I'd like to thank every one of my podcast listeners uh, and YouTube viewers from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast, and God bless. Hey, welcome back. So with the recent news of the assassination of, of one of Iran's top leaders, Qasem Soleimani, uh, in, in Baghdad, an airstrike carried out by the United States that have been described by many as, as an assassination as well as an act of war, you know, in my podcast on Friday, I put out some potential ways that Iran could choose to retaliate. And among that list was things like uh, Hezbollah and Hamas stepping up or their attacks on or even uh, beginning a major conflict with Israel. Uh, Iranian proxies and, and Houthi rebels in Yemen stepping up their uh, fight against Saudi Arabia along the Yemen-Saudi border. Uh, Iranian proxies, militias, as well as, as their, the Quds Force, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, taking action against U.S. contractors, U.S. proxies, as well as U.S. forces in Syria, uh, Iraq, as well as other conventional attacks on U.S. assets in the area carried out by, most likely, you know, missiles from, from Iran's country or from some of their other forces in the area. Because U.S., of course, has, has a ton of bases in the area in places like Kuwait, Iraq, uh, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, and plenty of other places. Those are all some of the potential ones, but some of the ones that I added to that list, including acts abroad like like sleeper cells uh, being activated here in the United States and in Europe, uh, Hezbollah sleeper cells taking action uh, domestically here in the United States, 
Um, but, but another one that I added to that list was also Iran's attempt to create upheaval in, in global markets, particularly the oil market. Now, Iran is a major oil producer, and they do export quite a bit of oil, despite the fact that U.S. sanctions are still in place. They, they find a way to get at least some of it out of their country. However, they are essentially in, in the Middle East, and their proximity to most of the major oil producers of the world puts them in prime position to disrupt the, the flow of oil out of the Middle East through a variety of means. Now, the two primary w- ways that they would take uh, action in that is first, uh, disrupting or destroying as much production in the area as possible. And now, Iran, I think a lot can be said about Iran's conventional and, and military forces. They, they are not of the same caliber in terms of, of technology and whatnot on, on many, in many ways as the United States. Their Air Force is, is outdated. Their, their Navy, especially their larger ships, are, are outdated. Uh, they, they do not have a lot of the same capabilities that the United States has. However, their ballistic missiles and their cruise missiles are significant. They are relatively advanced. A lot of it has been domestically produced or, or um, designed or, or bought from places like Russia and China. And they have pretty decent capabilities. And in fact, they, they showed that uh, in, in 2019 when they uh, attacked uh, Saudi oil facilities, uh, essentially shutting down a good portion of the country's uh, production uh, it, with, with a single with a single missile strike from you know a series of missiles that were launched into Saudi Arabia. However, their proximity, because of the forces that they have in Syria, in Lebanon, in Iraq, as well as as, as Iran and Yemen, gives them the the ability to strike at at basically any oil facility or or processing facility or refinery in the area, including Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, United Arab Emirates, uh, Qatar, uh, Iraq, obviously, uh, and and many of the other smaller, you know, Jordan and some of the other smaller countries in the area that also are responsible for a, a bulk of or a good chunk of the world's production of oil. And of course, if that oil is shut off, it's not like there's not oil that doesn't come out of the ground here in the United States. We're actually, I think, last time I checked, a net exporter. Uh, Russia produces a huge amount of oil. Indonesia, China. There's plenty of other places to look for for oil. But when all of a sudden, you know, 10, 20% of the of the world's supply is, is cut off, that's going to have a major influence on the oil markets. And I'll talk more about that here in a second. But another potential way that, that Iran could, uh, could take action is to shut down the Strait of Hormuz. The Strait of Hormuz is basically the only way out of the, the Persian Gulf. It's where a, a huge amount of the world's oil supplies uh, uh, ship out of the Persian Gulf from countries like Saudi Arabia and, and Kuwait and Iraq and, and, and others. And, and it's, a vo- it's also a very narrow strait. Uh, on, on one side you have Oman and United Arab Emirates, and on the other side you have Iran. And in the past, this has been a, a hotbed of, of Iranian activity in the form of harassing or in some cases even uh, basically taking over oil tankers and, and other ships in this, in this area, as well as uh, attacks against some of these ships, which reportedly were, were carried out by Iran. You know, we never have confirmation on these. These are things that have happened. Uh, in, in years past, or even as recent as 2019. However, you know we have to ask ourselves if Iran really wants to shut down oil 
the shutdown oil getting out of the Middle East through the Hormuz Strait, how would they do that? And, and do they have the capabilities to do that? Well, first of all, just harassment of these vessels or taking over a couple could be enough to to slow the flow of oil out of the area because of a fear of of these tankers being taken over by Iranian forces, as well as the the increases in things like cost of insurance to to get the ships out of the area. Right, that whenever uh, piracy or the threat of of a state actor like like Iran taking over oil tankers through a specific region uh, goes up, then then insurance rates go up as well. And and to some extent that's passed on to the consumers. But to some extent that also would be that that means some ships just would choose to to try and wait it out to to not ship their oil out uh, while they wait for for tensions to potentially slow down. However, or or, or decrease. But however, there. <laughs> There are more extreme ways that Iran can shut down uh, the the flow of oil through the Strait of Hormuz, including uh, straight up just sinking some tankers. Right? They have plenty of naval assets in the form of of uh, torpedo and missile boats, small, very mobile boats, as well as as submarines, as well as uh, cruise missiles, uh, land to ship missiles, and plenty of other assets in the air that they could use to to ensure that that no oil makes it out of the the Persian Gulf. Now, yes, the U.S. and and other countries do have naval assets in the area that they could use to uh, uh, decrease Iran's ability to to close the Strait of Hormuz. The U.S. currently has at least one carrier strike group in the area. I'm sure we have plenty of other... I mean, carrier strike groups, that's that's an aircraft carrier with an aircraft on it, but it also means um, support ships that also have their own capabilities, including you know, Tomahawk cruise missiles and 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 ship-to-ship missiles and, and plenty of other uh, tools. I'm sure there's also uh, some number of, of U.S. submarines in the area, and, and the U.S. isn't the only Western country with, with ships in the area. Japan even sent a destroyer there uh, relatively recently to, to sort of police those waters, right? However, what I think a lot of people don't understand is that although Iran's military is is it's very difficult to compare it in conventional means to the United States because it's well it's just not uh, nearly on the same level in terms of of their naval capabilities. They don't have many large capital ships. They don't have an aircraft carrier. Their air force as a whole is is outdated and not, ext- not, not would not be very effective against the United States. Uh, their land forces, uh, if this were to ever turn into a major conventional land conflict, uh, would likely face serious difficulties because Iran would have difficulty maintaining air superiority. However, as I said before, Iran does excel at, at certain things, and that is more asymmetric forms of, of warfare. They, I think Iran knew a long time ago that they would not be able to keep pace with the United States and our allies in terms of, of naval assets. And so in the meantime, they took it upon themselves to purchase and or uh, uh, domestically create a large amount of, of weapons that they could use against U.S. and, and other assets in the area, including uh, land-to-ship missiles, you know, anti-ship missiles, essentially uh, cruise missiles, which which as a whole are, are fairly effective and fairly advanced forms of technology. Additionally, their their navy, which is uh, split up between the uh, navy of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard as well as um, 
the uh, Islamic Republic Navy, kind of like with their military, it's, it's split up. As I said, does not have you know the number of, of large or, or capital ships as the United States does, and and as a whole, a lot of their ships are, are relatively outdated, decades and decades old, right? They don't have the advanced uh, aircraft carriers or destroyers or frigates that the U.S. might have. However, what they do have and what they excel at is their what you might call green water navy, their their regional navy, their postal or coastal patrol navy which could be very effective against large U.S. ships in the area if they were to move too closely to the Strait of Hormuz, as well as, as against these, these oil tankers and other ships in the region. I'm talking about fast attack uh, ships armed with, with missiles that would be effective against larger other ships or, or oil tankers, as well as torpedoes.